Good morning. Welcome to Theology in the Dirt. It is March the 2nd, 2021, and we're with you today. My name is Mitchell Jolly. And I am Keith Thompson. Justin Owens. And Jim Lanier. Yes, we have Pastor Jim Lanier with us today. Jim is our elder, and we're glad he is with us today. Today, we are going to talk about prayer uh, as we wrestle through practicing our theology in our homes, in the public square of our city, and our world. And so we're glad to have Pastor Jim with us today. And uh, before we get to wrestling through prayer, and we're going to wrestle with it. We're going we're gonna to deal with some stuff that the Bible teaches us and just some observations in created order because uh, they're there, right? And so we got to wrestle through that. Uh, some, important, some important things uh, for us. But before we do that, as has become our tradition, we have to have a sports hot take. And so, uh, Justin, I'm looking at you. So I'm going to let you uh, lead us off with your sports hot take for today before we get into the hot take of prayer. So bring it. We are entering the greatest sports season of them all. That is baseball. <laughs> Springs training has started. and um, That's a magical take. It is baseball <laughs> season, right? There you go. Ronald Acuna looks super healthy. And um, it's going to be a great year for the Braves, I think. So my hot take would be I think one of the Braves pitchers will win the Cy Young Award this year. Wow. Do you want to get specific and tell us which one do you believe? Uh, I think they got three guys that could do it. Right. Um, either Soroka, Freed, or Anderson. So I'm not going to pick one of them. But I think one of them will have a killer year. That's fantastic. I saw uh, someone mention Ian Anderson as a, a dark horse in their book, in their world of, of being in contention for said award. So who knows, right? I go. like it. I like it. Keith, yeah, you got to say right. Sports hot take. Yeah, I've got a sports take. I don't know how hot it is, but it's not uh, Stephen A. Smith so, level. No, no, no. I, I see that. Uh, I don't know if everybody saw this or not, but Johnny Manziel has decided he's going to make a run at professional golf. He is. Yeah, Johnny Manziel says he's got twelve years. He figures he's got twelve years till he's forty. He's going to try to make it as a professional golfer. My hot take is he won't make it. <laughs> that's a great take. He didn't make it as solid. a professional anything yeah. at this point, right? Yeah. Isn't he doing some uh, uh, league, football league, where the fan gets to call the plays yeah. and they have, they're have they responding to – like, have you seen that? Yeah, he was, and he's, he's pretty much done. He says he's putting football down at least for a couple of years. Uh, and so now he's got 12, 12 years before he's 40 to make it in the bigs of golf. He might ought to put a put down some of those substances um, that may be preventing <laughs> well, him. That's what he was talking. He was talking about. Um, you know, at this point in my life, I've you know I've got my buddies, and you know we really don't have much of a schedule. We kind of party and have a good time, and so I've got to add some structure to my life. So now he's going to take up golf. And you wonder why he didn't make it in the NFL? Exactly. Right. That's that's brutal, man. Professional golf. That's yeah. that to me. That's harder than football. Oh, that yeah. little white ball is the great equalizer in athletics. You got John Daly, who's probably going to die of his own decision making and his health, but yet he can be on the course with Tiger Woods, who's fit as a fiddle. Yeah, and that little ball puts them both on the same plane, yeah. man. It's, well, Manziel's going to join about a hundred thousand other people who started when they were five, right? Uh, to make it to the pro tour, right? So. Right. That's right. All right, Jim, do you have us a sports hot take? We've totally put you on the spot with this. You have put me on the spot, and I'm, I, I do not uh, uh, 
thrive in the sports realm. I, I, I admit that. I, it's okay. I, I like sports. I like to do sports. I like to play golf. I used to like to play tennis, uh, baseball and softball and all those things. And I whack that little white ball around uh, occasionally. I got a, got a, a grandson that's uh, taking up the game now at 12, and he's, he's, got, a, he's got a swing. Nice. He's got a swing. So, nice. so I'm going to dust my clubs off. But – uh, being from Georgia Tech and going to Georgia Tech in the early 70s, we just don't expect much from Georgia Tech. But uh, <laughs> I, I, my, my sports hot take, take is uh, Tech's going to have a winning football season this mm. next year. I we're we're, we're going to come up. We're going to step up. So I'm looking forward to that. I agree. I, I think uh, Jeff Collins has made that program turn in the right direction. And he's recruiting well. He has yep. good athletes. Uh, and there's no reason why that school in Atlanta with the talent in the state of Georgia should not be competing. And I, I agree with you. I think they'll be excellent. I, I like it. Too. I like I it. Too. Even okay. as a dog fan, I want that game to be good. I like I it. I do too. I think my, uh, my sports hot take, uh, it's actually got to do with Georgia Tech basketball and Georgia basketball. I, I think uh, Josh Pastner – is light years a better basketball coach than Tom Crean. Um, I mean, I can't – I don't know the dollar figure that gets thrown around between the two programs, but Josh Passner seems to always do more with less than Crean does at this school that rakes in the millions of dollars. And I'm going, why can't you buy some – like, can you give some McDonald's sacks like Tennessee did <laughs> to somebody? Like, why can't you get these kids in the house? Like, what's going on? Yeah, low, low blow. Yeah. I mean, come on, man, help us out. And Passner goes in there in that program. He just they're they're getting it done. So kudos to Georgia Tech, man. They they they're gonna make the tournament. I think they're gonna make the tournament. Don't they play Duke? Is that today? They no, got Duke I, I, this week at some point. So I think they're in. Georgia's right. gonna be on the outside looking in as usual. So go Jackets. Yeah, go Jackets. There we go. Well, today we're talking about prayer, and, um, and I have a little a quote from John Frame that helps me when I think about prayer. It says, God ordains prayer as a means to change history. I, I could not agree more. God ordains prayer as a means to change history. But I'm also confronted with the reality that when Jesus taught us about prayer in Matthew 6, he makes to me this wild statement that don't pray like unbelievers pray. And so there's a sense in which... Prayer, uh, I think prayer is an image of God issue. I think all creatures recognize, whether Christian or not, that there is a need, something's terribly wrong, and they're going to cry out to someone or something to help them. So therefore, Jesus has to instruct his disciples. That, that innate thing that's going on around the world where people, unbelievers, are crying out, and you've got Baal, the prophets of Baal, and Elijah, right? They, they think they're calling on some God, and of course Elijah's mocking them, going, maybe he's off relieving himself. <laughs> cry louder, cry longer, cry harder. And they do, and he never answers because he's not there. So there's, there's an image of God issue where creatures cry out for help because they recognize something is wrong. The question is, who are they crying out to and, and why, right, and for what? Mm-hmm. So Jesus said, don't pray like them. Because they think they're going to be heard because they say more words. But you pray like this. And so prayer is, is an image of God issue. 
The question is, who are we praying to and what are we praying for? That, that changes the results. And so thus, John Frame, God ordains prayers and means to change history. So um, it's a big topic. It's going to be really hard to cover in the time we have together, but I think we can do some damage to the topic. So as we come to talk about prayer, what are your, what are your thoughts, Keith? Yeah, so I, I agree with you, man. I think that everybody with a beating heart has a tendency to cry out to somebody. We recognize inherently that we don't have the answers to all of the problems, even if we don't admit it. <laughs> we know that I don't have the answers to my problems. We get to places in our lives where we just we need something else. We need another power. And even an atheist has to pr- cry out to someone, and an atheist cry out, cries out to humanity. Like it's us together, collectively, let's, surely we can figure this out. And they have, they've placed their faith in that. If you're a, you know, if you're a, if you're a theist, you, yeah, you're going to cry out to a God. The question is, what is that God like? Because gods tend to want things their way. So you're going to cry out to God in a sense that will it, that, that crying has to be consistent with the nature of that God. So from a Christian perspective, we can't just pray. Right. So we, we have to pray not like a unbeliever prays, but we also have to pray like a believer who knows who God is. That's the implication, right? Don't pray like unbelievers, but you need to pray like something. Right. There's a standard. Yeah, so you have to pray, and everybody seems to pray. I mean, everybody's talking about prayers. We'll be praying for you. The question is, who are you praying to, and what is that God like, and what's that God's agenda? What has that God decreed for the world, and are your prayers lining up with those decrees and that end end game. That's good. Justin? I think it's interesting to think about prayer because as far as I know, all religions have some version of praying. Praying, meditating, seeking answers in some supernatural way. Um, And so prayer being more than just me spouting off words, but also listening and expecting some kind of answer uh, I think is a human condition. Um, Image of God issue in all of us. Mm that all religions form some basis of crying out to whoever their God happens to be. Um, so I think it's important that we heed the words of Jesus and try to get that right. That's good. Jim, you're ac- you actually have your Bible open. Wow. This is good. This is important. It's the manual. It's the manual. That's exactly right. Yeah, I think you're all right. I think... You know, there's there's a, a yearning to cry out uh, when things don't go our way, uh, when we misunderstand things, when we're suffering, when we're sick, uh, when we know somebody is hurting, uh, and and I think the key is not to make it about ourselves. So there, there's tension there in expressing our needs and desires, but not making it all about our needs and desires. And uh, Keith, I think you're right. It's, it's, it's aligning ourselves with God and his agenda and what, what he wants, and, and therein lies the rub. There's, uh, there's conflict. Uh, there's, there's flesh and there's spirit, and one wants one thing and one desires something else. And that's, that's part of, the, of, of this text in, in Matthew. It's, uh, it, you know, Jesus says they already have their reward and it's not 
it's not it's not God's reward. It's their own building up of their image, mm-hmm. their self esteem in society. Mm-hmm. And and I often think about um, uh, a verse or two in uh, out of out of First John, and. Um, it says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. And so it brings in the component of his will. Uh, and how do we align ourselves, our desires, our wants with his will? And if we do that, then then we have some assurance, some confidence, as John says, that uh, the prayers are going to be answered in, according to his will. Right. So, right. so then how do you know, and I, and I think we find this, that, and the idea of that in this uh, text today, very important component is his uh, will being done. Mm, that's good. He teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right at the very beginning of this prayer, um, that, that I, I think several observations, and there there are tons of things we can we can talk about here. But I, I think uh, let's go down the road of public prayer. And I'm just going to confess mm. to you, for my entire existence as a as a Christian from the age of 20 to this day, public prayer has always been a challenge for me because of Jesus' words. He doesn't restrict public prayer. Um, in fact. I, he encourages it when he gives us the the example of the Pharisee and the tax collector. He doesn't rebuke public prayer. He rebukes how they pray. This one going, I'm not like this tax collector. I give a tenth. I'm righteous. I'm holy. God, I'm, I'm good. So thanks for being God. And this other guy won't even look up. Mm. And he's hitting himself on the chest going, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, that's the one who went home justified. So he's not against public prayer. So I'm just going to confess my own heart that public prayer gives me pause, uh, not because we shouldn't do it, but because I know my own heart. And, and it is very easy to see public prayer as a means of something other than why Jesus gave it. So has, as far as public prayer goes, corporate prayer we might call it. Let's say public prayer. Let's call it corporate prayer. How have you seen that and experienced that in your own walk? You're our guest, Jim. You can go first. <laughs> I find it curious that uh, in most, in almost all public prayer gatherings, the the prayer, the one offering the prayer, always uses a microphone, as if God can't hear the prayer <laughs> unless it's somehow electrified. Yes, <laughs> and I and I just you know so so there's a component of that that begs the question who who are you really praying to, and who do you want to hear what you're saying? Right. So yeah, there's a there's this idea. Of, there's almost a panic. You know what? Who who am I praying to, and what? You know who am I trying to impress? And uh, right, uh, but. But also, I come I come back to this prayer again, and the pronouns are corporate, our, we. Yeah. So you know, and we, maybe we'll talk about that in a minute. So, and I think it's important uh, that we do, uh, as a as a priest, 
we pray. We we are called sometimes to pray uh, for the corpus, for the gathered body, and uh, mm-hmm. and and we need to we need to do that as a priest and not as a performer. Yeah, mm-hmm. I I do. I I think your observation is huge. That you're going to find even when individuals pray, the Holy Spirit inspired the we and the our. And which means that my prayer is never merely about me. Um, it, it's about us, right? And so that that's that's massive. That's massive. Justin, what about you when you think about corporate prayer? I think it's uh there's a tension, right? Because the priests prayed publicly for the people, right? They were offering sacrifices, and it was in a in the view of all the public that they were. They would make these sacrifices. They would say the blessings to the people. They would cry out to God for his blessing upon, upon his people. And yet there's the warning of Jesus of don't, don't be showy. Don't think you're doing this for a reward now because then if you get the pat on the back and the clap, then that's your reward. Right. Um, there's a lot of stark warnings in some of that. Um, and I could be off here. Jim can rebuke and correct me if I'm off, but it's almost the sense that I get of if you pray and you try to use flowery, beautiful words and somebody comes and pats you on the back, it's almost as if Jesus says, God didn't hear your prayer. You got your reward with a pat on the back. So whatever you ask for with these flowing, glowing words to be esteemed by men, that esteem is the answer to your prayer Hmm. versus what you were hoping to pray for and get an answer for. So there's a there's a weighty tension of a responsibility to do it and to yeah. do it well, yeah. Um, but to do it with the right motives and the right intent. Mm. Um, and at the same time, there's a strange encouragement from it that I don't have to say the right words. Yeah, like it's not about the specific words that I say as much as it is, mm. am I asking? Am I seeking? Am I knocking? Right. Um, as Jesus will say in chapter seven, am right. I persistent in praying for the right things in the right way mm. and submitting that to His will? Is what you need before you ask. So ask like this, right? That's good. That's good. Keith? Yeah, when we pray, it we sort of, we um, we show our hand in what we believe about God when we pray. And we, people can sort of get an insight into our theology as we pray to God, as we say certain things to Him. Or, you know, the, the, the example is somebody who's praying to God, telling God various things, you know. And God so-and-so the other day, was doing such and such, and, and the whole time you're going, he knows, he uh, he knows. <laughs> what what do you want? Like, what are you trying to say here? Right. But I do think that people, it's like when you go to a church that's that's sort of more high church, and everybody sort of says the same prayer every every week. I think there's some value in that, corporately, for everybody to be on the same page and thinking through the same things. And so I remember as a kid, I used to hear older gentlemen in the church would say the same stuff. They would have similar phrases that would they would say over and over again, and it would sort of irritate me. But I think there's a sense in which that's okay because it's um, it's not that those things weren't true or good or right or just or whatever. But um, what I think what ultimately what we're going to find with that corporate prayer, it's what Justin alluded to. If you look at the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus ta- tells us how to pray, the, the entire uh, prelude to that, section is all Jesus is basically saying over and over again, the condition and attitude of your heart is what matters the most. 
He's going to do it about murder. He's going to do it about adultery. He's going to talk about blessed are those who mourn and are hungry and thirsty. And it's like all about your heart. Yeah. And so if a guy stands up or a lady stands up and they pray and they're using incredible language and it's just flowing out of who they are and their heart is aimed directly at God, man, that's, that's the right prayer. Right. Whereas if you have another person who uses the exact same words and they're hoping that somebody hears it in the congregation, that's suddenly no, the exact same words. No good. They've gotten their reward already. So it really does depend on where is your heart in this prayer and are you really thinking about the kingdom coming and not about us but about him? And are you, um, are you aimed and focused at a conversation with God himself hoping that he'll bring down things that are good and right and true and just. No, that's good, man. That's good. I would say for me that, that those thoughts have, have, have led to a, a lot of years of prayerlessness, mm. uh, just, as, as, just to be frank and blunt, because um, it's easy uh, to, as a Christian, shun some of those things because, okay, that's a misuse and abuse, so I'm just not going to do that. And what that leads to is not doing anything at all. And, and so what I found for me is getting, getting myself back to the text of Scripture and having to wrestle through what the Lord says about prayer because I, I find more and more there's more in the text about prayer than I've given credit to because it's easy to start downloading theology, which is important. Who is God? What has God said about himself? And miss some of the implications of who God is and what he said about himself. And, and, and part of that is he wired his universe to work for his will on prayer. And that then, that then changes things. Um, so, so it forces me back to those quiet places where nobody's ever going to hear this but you, Lord. And then from there, growing out into some public form, corporate form, that hopefully is a difference maker. You know, uh, Keith, when you talk about heart, prayer is a heart matter. Um, I think about the very similar prayer in Luke chapter 11. And the context is different different there. We don't have this prologue uh, that we see in Matthew. We just see, you know, there's a statement that Jesus was praying and one of his disciples came up and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And, and I think, well, what was it about Jesus's praying that caused this disciple to say, I want that. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think it was their understanding of the heart of Jesus in which he was praying to his father. And they wanted that same heart, that, that same passion, mm-hmm. uh, that same humility, mm-hmm. that same confidence. They, they wanted that. Yeah, that's good. Hey, let's take a break right here. We're going to come back on the other side of this break, and we're going to continue our discussion on prayer. Okay, welcome back. We appreciate you being with us. Um, let's talk about some topics, and we're, we're going to have plenty of time to go through and, and bring up everything the Scriptures teach, but I think it's important for us to recognize a lot of our, uh, a lot of our audience are people who don't go to our church. All of us attend the same church. We're covenant members together. We also have a lot of folks who aren't Christians who listen to our podcast. Um, so they tune in from different theological perspectives. So I want to answer for 
the Christian who's not part of our church, part of our corporate prayer, and the non-Christian who's curious about the God of the Bible, why do Christians pray? Why do we pray? We've alluded to some of that already, but let's kind of talk about why we pray. Um, because I think in that is, number one, some motivation to get God's people praying. Because the truth of the matter is there are things that God has wired, means and ends, that are only going to be accomplished in prayer. And either we get in on them or we will be left out of them. And, and that, that already I feel this urging in me to go, let's, let's pray. Let's get after it, right? And there are some who are just, eh, okay, whatever. Sure, I might get around to praying today. Maybe I won't, or I'm going to pray to, to this other God that I have no assurance that there's anything that's going to be done. It's just sort of this, for my Muslim friends, it's just kind of fixed in the heavens. There's no real, my prayers are more about me getting God's acceptance than they are about moving history along because, inshallah, if God wills, it's sort of this passive, well, it's going to happen, it's fate, as opposed to, no, 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 this utterance is going to move history. So why do Christians pray? So free for all. Yeah, you mentioned Frame. I, I've got to give John Frame a shout out because he's the he's sort of my go-to um, systematic theology when I'm trying to think through something and get a big, pic, a big picture. But the first thing Frame throws out there is, well, we're commanded to. So we pray because the Bible tells us to. We see it in the Old Testament and the New Testament. By example, men and women of God speak to him and they pray to him. They ask him for protection. They ask him for uh, sustenance. They praise him. They think all these things. But then in Thessalonians, it's, it's like pray continually. Yeah. And Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. So I think first and foremost, we pray because we're told to. Yeah, no, that's good. Yeah, it's a command, right? Mm -hmm. Pray without ceasing. So and that even introduces, okay, uh, that clearly means not always corporate but corporate. Mm -hmm. So I am also praying for the rest. And also it's in a manner that I can't get on my face right now. So whatever manner we pray in, I'm, I, I can't do that, yeah. but I'm, I got to do something. And so that opens up some possibility to even just a multifaceted way we come to the Lord. Yeah. I, mm -hmm. I appreciate that Jim noted. I didn't really note this, but it is plural. Jesus is praying in this prayer, our father let's kind of, he's like, we're all in this together and then when he prays the priestly prayer in John 17, it's, it's him, Father, I have these people you've given me. That it's like between him and the Lord. And then we know he goes out and spends all night in prayer. And so it's both, it's got to be both ways. That's good. That's good. So what are some other reasons we pray? I think it's an exercise of faith. I mean, the Lord calls us to, to live and follow him in faith. And as we take big steps of faith, it forces us back to look at God, to know God to know more of God and to ask him, hey, Lord, you told me to do this. You called me to take a step of faith. And so like in Luke 12, he tells those he sends, you're going out as sheep amongst wolves. Mm. Well, I mean, if you're going out as a sheep amongst a wolf, you're going to be continually crying back out to him going, all right, now you told me to go here, so I'm trusting you to take me here. Um, it's integral so, to the mission, right? Ask yeah. the Lord of the harvest. Like, you're our yeah. sheep among wolves and they need some more sheep, so... And, ask and the teaching of you know when you pray don't pray like those who don't believe but believe believe that the father hears and he wants to be a good father to you um so yeah knowing god walking in faith mm. isn't the, the the whole idea of the mustard seed of faith is is centered around prayer yeah. ask 
If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can ask. You can ask the Lord to cause this mountain to be uprooted and cast in the sea, and it has to obey you. Mm-hmm. I always, uh, Jim, I want you to speak to some reasons why Christians pray, but that that always makes me, like I, I start conflicting in my flesh with bad theology that says I can speak to it, and it happened because of a misplaced understanding of who God is as opposed to by faith speak according to the will of God. And if that mountain's in the way of God's will, he will move it hmm. with mustard seed faith. Like, you don't have to have great faith, just tiny, like, I, I believe you can. Would mm. you? <laughs> Boom. Right? So, faith. Jim, what are some reasons Christians pray? Well, we, we pray for all kinds of things. You know, sometimes I, uh, I think we pray like I speak to my Labrador retriever and I want him to fetch something for me. And, uh, uh, you know, I whistle him up and he comes and I tell him to sit and I tell him to go and he goes. And, uh, and sometimes uh, I regret that uh, I approach God the same way. God fetch this for me. God do this for me. Make my life easier. Uh, but I think, I think the Christian, the one that has sold his soul to Jesus Christ and, and uh, uh, has faith, uh, prays to align ourselves with God. Mm-hmm. He, we've talked a lot about knowing God, knowing who God is, and, and I, think, I think we pray, I pray to align myself, to snap myself out of culture and out of worldly things and to align myself with God, to know who he is, uh, what his purpose is, his, again, his will is for my life and for those that I love and for the church mm. and for the world, and, and I align myself with him. When I, and we talked about corporate prayer, and when, whenever I've been asked to uh, give a corporate prayer, I have to pause and be still for a moment to, to center on God, to, to recognize that, that the audience out there is not who I'm praying to. I'm praying to God and to establish that connection mm. with God before I utter a word. Mm. And, uh, and, and it's to align myself with him. And I can't tell you how many times I've prayed. And during the course of the prayer, uh, I've changed my mind about what I'm saying and, and what I want and why I came to him. And it's because I think he's spoken to me and changed my heart a little bit mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the things i'm the things i'm asking for are not mm-hmm. not totally in alignment with his will wow and wow it's like never mind god <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah i know i know mm-hmm. we you got it covered mm-hmm. you know it's a it's a luke 11 where the lord is teaching about prayer and, and he likens it to a child coming to to a good father and, and a child comes because they need to know. They need something or they need the information. And when you come in that, I need to get connected to the Father, yeah. there's a sense in which you learn what you didn't know. Mm. And he, he kind of centers you up. Um, I, I love I love uh, that that's helpful because I'm quick to rush to words because I'm, I'm a verbal person and the stopping to listen. I think that's a comp- something I've learned about about prayer from brothers and sisters on the other side of the planet is we are quick to make prayer verbalization. They are quick to begin with quiet. 
silence, solitude and listening mm-hmm. and getting aligned with, with what God wants before they start talking it out. <laughs> and uh, that's, that, that's rich. Luke 18, 1 to 8 is a game changer for me. Jesus told them this parable to the effect that they'd all, always to pray and not lose heart. And he told the story of the persistent widow and the unrighteous judge. And even in the language, he says, listen to what the unrighteous, the judge. So he puts the, the definite article in front of the adjective. Probably grammar you don't want to know, but the point is this is a really unrighteous judge. He's known by his unrighteousness. But he gives justice to this woman who continues to come to him. And then the Lord said, now will not the... Lord of the earth, give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And I thought, so faith looks like keep asking. Because a just God is going to give justice like this unrighteous judge would be kind of forced to. So if he's going to do it, will not God do it? So keep asking. And so Christians, keep we, we pray because there's a component of perseverance in it. Like it's we got to keep asking, seeking, and knocking. And so that's one reason we pray is because there's things to keep asking for and keep going after and not give up on, but keep keep going. And just because I don't get an answer today does not mean that the answer is not coming. So you, you probably are going to get to this, but one of the questions I think that's in everybody's mind is, well, if God's sovereign and he knows how things are going to turn out, why should I pray? And, you know, Frame's quote as far as ordaining prayer is a means to change history. So one of the reasons we pray is because prayer changes things. How does that, like, how does that work? How do you put those two together? Because mm-hmm. if God's up there waiting on me to ask him what to do, how can he be sovereign and have right. a decreed, how can he have a providential plan that's going to work? What if I screw that up with right. my prayer? Right. So that's, I think that's a huge question that, that really sort of confounds people when they get ready to start praying and they want to ask for something. Should I ask for this per- person to be healed or should I ask for God's will to be done? Yes and yes, right? Exactly. <laughs> right. So I think that's a good question. No, it's something good question. to try to work through. And what does, what does Frame mean by he uses prayer as a means to change history that he has already foreordained? Mm-hmm. So, Pastor Jim... <laughs> here here right now present no no that that that's i think that that's the the question as we dive into our theology is are there distinctions between sovereign ends ultimate ends and means and temporal ends that's splitting hairs but i think you have to split those hairs mm-hmm. i think you know the the covenant of redemption where father son and the spirit make a deal that father's going to give the son some people but he's got to purchase them mm-hmm. from from well, from the curse of sin. The Holy Spirit's role is to bring them. That's that's we don't get to ask that. Lord, Lord, would you shift up the covenant of redemption? You know, would you would you change that end? I don't know that we get to ask for that mm-hmm. one. But I think it's clear from Scripture we get to ask um, about its execution. Mm-hmm. Ask the Lord of the Harvest to send people to that work. And so I think He makes a distinction between. There are ends that he has established and fixed. But there are means and temporal ends to those things. So therefore, get after it. That's my initial take. I heard a, a, a pastor 
one time uh, say that there was there are four answers to prayer, at least four answers to prayer. Lots of answers to prayer, but at least four. One is yes, that's the one we want. Mm-hmm. One is no. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> you know, it's it's Garth Brooks theology. Uh, you know, <laughs> thank God for unanswered prayers, but. And then there's a uh, there's a there's a sort of a answer to be patient. Mm. Just be patient. And and at the past the, the answer that I I tend to uh, agree with most of the time is that God answers I will if you will. Mm. And and I think you know when you, when you pray for the Lord of the harvest to to provide workers well. He says, well, what about you? Mm. I will if you will. Mm. And so, again, it, it puts, us, puts us into his agenda and under his authority, uh, under his king, kingship, that, uh, um, mm. that, that we, he has ordained it. It's going to come to pass, but he, but he wants us to participate mm. with it. Mm. Another image that I like Sometimes I question it, but I like it. Is that God is like a great locomotive, powerful, hugely powerful to go and to haul freight, whatever, whatever your image is. And prayer, our prayers are the are laying down the rails that that locomotive is going to run on. Mm. And uh, uh, I, that's you know I, I kind of hold to that to that image. I'm. Somehow, uh, have a responsibility to participate yeah. with him. Yeah, to declare, mm. I know your will, and and it shall be done. Mm. And that's solid. I like that picture. That's good. Yeah. That that helps me. That helps me. <laughs> that's really good. As you were talking, I had this picture in my mind of of me asking the Lord to make sure my friend gets the gospel, and and the Lord going, "We'll go tell him." And I'll be with your mouth. Uh, well, what if I mess that? I'll make sure they hear. Make sure they hear. But get after it. Ooh, that's good. Okay. All right. I got you. I got you. <laughs> so the rails to locomotive. That's rich. That's rich. We go ahead, Justin. I was just gonna say. I think it goes back to something Jim said earlier about aligning ourselves with God's will and His ends. So He invites us to pray uh, because He's relational with us. And he could have, this whole thing could have been non-relational. Mm-hmm. He could have been up in the sky and just said, hey, obey me. And then even if he wanted to save us, it could have been, okay, now you're saved. Sit to the side. Right. I'm working on somebody else. But he invites us into a relationship with him, mm. uh, to know him, be known by him. It's not yeah. like he doesn't know us, but, yeah, you know. What's the difference between fate and providence? I think a lot of Christians in their theology, mm-hmm. particularly in our brand of more reformy kind of whatever language you're, or adjective you want to put on that, have a tendency to think more like fate. But actually, I think they're more Muslim in their theology than they are Christian. They think in terms of this is just an ordained fate, and I have no role in it at all, so I just sort of back up and I'm passive in my Christianity. And, and, and that, is a, that is a Muslim. That is more of a, a, an Islamic view toward prayer is that, inshallah, whatever will be. As opposed to, no, there's some rails that you've asked me to lay down, and I will run on them, but you better get after obeying to ask because it's through the asking that it's going to happen. And that's providence and fate are not the same thing. Mm-hmm. And, and when we come to prayer, we have to 
define the difference between those two, that God works with and through us, not just over us, but there's a real father-son partnership, father-daughter partnership, where our, our work and prayer really, really matters. Yeah, so God ordains that the crops will grow, but he does it through sunshine and rain. Right. So the rain has to come for the, for the crops to grow. God ordains that people are going to be saved, but they're going to be saved through the, God, the hearing of the gospel. Right. Um, God knows my needs, and he's, he's, a, he's ordained that my needs are going to be met, but they're going to be met through, the, through my prayers and the prayers of others. And then he, he's ordained that Christ is going to come back and set all things straight, but that's going to happen through the prayers of the saints right. as, he, as he brings that in. So both of those things are going to have to be held in tension, and that's just true for a lot of things in the Scriptures. If, you're, right. if you've got to have a black and white either or dealing with an infinite God, you're just going to struggle with the Scriptures. It's something you just have to sort of learn to live with inside the Scriptures. That was true for me for sure. But um, as far as, um, you know, one of the ways that we, we have to pray is we have to pray with obedience in um, all through the scripture, it says things like, if our hearts don't condemn us, we can have confidence before God. Um, the prayer of an upright person is a prayer that is effective. Um, if anyone turns his ear away from the law, even his prayer is detestable. Yes. Um, so there's a whole, there's a component of holiness in coming to God. There, there is. Yeah. You know, that can... Again, it can easily slide into legalism, but the Scripture is very, very clear that our relationship with the Lord is affected and our prayers are affected yeah. by the lives that we're living, even to the point, I don't remember where it is, you guys might, but even to the point where it's like, look, if I'm not treating my wife well, God doesn't hear my prayers. Yeah, First Peter 4-ish. Yeah, yeah. so it, yeah. It, it's, it can make us who, we all love grace, but at the same time, we also have to rec recognize that the Lord requires of us certain things mm -hmm. to be in a state where, or even in a posture where, He can hear us. And that's, that's the one thing you, you'll probably get at. But one of the things that unbelievers who are listening to this need to hear is, we pray to God and are heard because we pray in Christ's name. Yes. We, we don't get to go before a holy God without the blood of Christ over us. Yes, which is essentially the gospel message. But the, the primary way that we pray is we pray through Christ. Yes. We pray in Christ. And when we say, and I pray this in Jesus' name, what I'm saying is in the absence of Christ and what he's done for me and my submission to him, I can't come before a holy God and ask anything. That's good. Yeah. Jim, let's lead off uh, the, the last our last little segment before we rapid fire and close up effective prayer. Cause Keith, mm -hmm. you're leading us into to what makes for effective prayer, right? So, so we've covered a lot of ground, um, but let's talk about effective prayer. What are some things that the scriptures teach us that the Bible teaches us specifically as Christians that make prayer effective? What comes to mind, Jim, for you? Well, effect, uh, you could, you could almost say effect uh, would be the the reward uh, and I, th I think for for an effective for a rewarding prayer again we have to be in alignment with God's will yep. uh, we have to be kingdom focused and 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 again I, I, mm. I if I am kingdom focused and I'm praying for kingdom outcomes, um, 
I have confidence that that the kingdom is going to rule, yeah. that, it, that it's it's going to take place. Uh, again, if I'm if I'm uh, praying for out of my ego, uh, I have no confidence that that prayer is going to be effective. And I and I think one you know we say prayer thing prayer changes things, but we also know that prayer changes us uh, coming before God and, and presenting our desires and wants if they're in, in alignment with the kingdom it, it focuses us on the kingdom it changes us it makes us it gives us a kingdom mindset rather than a worldly selfish uh, mm. mindset you know it's just you know <laughs> Yeah. If, I'm, if I'm praying for praying to win the lottery, you know, I, <laughs> I have no expectation that that's going to come come to pass. Yeah. But I mean, if it's the Lord's will, well, <laughs> you know, I, I heard somebody pray, you know, uh, give an illustration of a, of a prayer, and he says, "Lord, you know, you you own the cows on a on a thousand hills. What's a, what's a million dollars to you?" And the Lord says, "Just a penny." And Father, you're you're the king over time. What's what's a what's a thousand years to you? It's just like a day. Mm. Well, well, Lord, how about giving me some of your pennies? And the Lord <laughs> says, "Oh, in just a couple of days." <laughs> <laughs> that, that may be how the Lord would approach my playing of the lottery. <laughs> yeah, a couple of days. Just a couple of days. Just a couple of days. No, that's good. I, I, I think uh, for me, I think all of us have to overcome a lot of our backgrounds and all of them is different. Uh, there's a lot of, of my familial background history that's rooted in Native American spirituality. So there's an awful lot of me having to overcome uh, what, I, looking back, I can put this, this language on top of it, but macro, micro. You talk about praying in God's will. Well, there's a sense in which and I think a lot of our prosperity theology is rooted in Native American spirituality. There's actually a historical connection. Mary Baker Reddy was influenced by Native American spirituality. She she affected uh, E.W. Kenyon, who affected the Kenneth Copelands uh, the, of the world today. And if you're listening to this, you don't know who those people are, don't go Google them. You will go down a dark path. But the idea that if I can control it somewhere in the macro universe by saying the words... I then get the results in the micro down here. So you speak it. Well, I just that that sixty million is mine, and and then and then we throw Christian language on top of it. And in Jesus' name, I'm just claiming it in Jesus' name. That is Native American spirituality. It's witchcraft applied with Christian language on top of it. And Jesus is super clear. We pray in His name. And, and growing up then with the Christian language tied in with Native American spirituality, you tack in Jesus' name onto the end of your prayers. And nobody taught me that theologically. I just heard it. So you ask for this, and you say in Jesus' name. And there was this innate fallen sense of, well, I, it's going to happen because I said this magical incantation in Jesus' name. Mm-hmm. And what I learned as a Christian was what that meant was praying what Jesus would want. It's got his name on it. It means it represents him. So praying in Jesus' name doesn't mean, oh, now we got what we asked for. It means what I just prayed represents you and your kingdom. It represents your will. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, that's a that's different. 
because it, it really kind of limits what I can ask for. I need to know his will before I just come spouting stuff off, right? Mm-hmm. And so effective prayer has got to be somehow connected with the will of God that I'm asking for his eternal ends, and I want to I lay the rails for that locomotive to run on. What else? Effective prayer. I think that's that's the key as we pray. Um, God either reveals his will to us as we listen to him, or he brings us into alignment with his will and his word and what we know or should know. And uh, for prayer to be effective, it's got to be aligned with his ends and his means. Right. Because uh, he's not he's not going to answer our prayers for a right end with the wrong means either. Uh, so it's aligning the means that we're asking for and the ends that we're asking for with his will and his way. Mm, that's good. Yeah, and with, again, go back to the heart issue, even if you're praying, because there's a way in which I guess we could pray for the right ends, the kingdom to come, God's will be done, all that. But in a manner that blesses me more, you know, it's like I get a jet airplane. Like I'm, I'm willing to take my airplane all over the world to do that God's Gulf will. Stream would be awesome. Yeah, if, but I just need the airplane, you right. know. So that's just the heart is wrong in that request. Uh, if I tag God's, I, like if I can really learn God's plan for the world and, you know, create my flourishing in a sense that it would move in that direction, that's no good either. Not that God wouldn't do that. I'm not saying he wouldn't give a Gulf Stream or whatever, but, um, you know, Jesus says right out of the gate in this prayer, listen, what we're interested in, everything that I say that follows is all about your kingdom coming. Yeah. And then we see the high priestly prayer in 17. It's all about, I came to do your will. I came to do your will. You brought me, I did your will. I did what you told me to do. Now they're going to come do what you told them to do. And it's, it's continually linked to this heart of submission, humiliation, and um, willingness to just be whoever God's called us to be. Mm. Um, so it yeah it's tied to that as well. That's huge. Um, how about prayer in the Holy Spirit? I think um, maybe the most neglected member of the Trinity is Holy Spirit. And in, in Romans chapter eight, there are clearly times in life where we don't know what we're supposed to pray for, and we just sit before God and and maybe we weep, maybe we cry, maybe it it just comes out in groans of grief. Um, and he says the Holy Spirit, you know, takes that. Uh, and groaning's too deep for words. Like we can't even put words to it, but the Holy Spirit somehow translates what's going on in us to the Father and always according to God's will. So there's a component, Jim, you said it earlier, centering down, doing something mm-hmm. to stop and be quiet and connect to Holy Spirit because he's going to be in line with the will of God. And if he's in me and he's talking to the Father through the Son, then... I obviously need to be connected to that. So there's a Holy Spirit component to prayer that's vital for us. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, uh, I think churches have somehow treated the Holy Spirit uh, contrary to what God wants. We either ignore the Holy Spirit or we make the Holy Spirit everything mm-hmm. and and there's and I think there you know those extremes are in error um, you know the Holy Spirit reminds us of the things that Jesus has taught us the Holy Spirit 
convicts us of sin. The Holy Spirit guides us. The Holy Spirit walks with us. The Holy Spirit comforts us. These, this, these are the realizations that we should have that drive our prayer. Mm. Our prayer life should be driven by, the in, by how the Holy Spirit walks with us. And I think I've got, uh, uh, I've told you guys, I've got a, I've had a mentor for, I don't know, thir- over 30 years, I guess now. He's, he just turned 94. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, he, he, has, he has told me that uh, uh, we talk about prayer being a dialogue. We, we talk, we listen. And he says that reading scripture is the listening part of prayer. And I think that's how the Holy Spirit comes to us is through reading Scripture and it becomes alive in our lives and it com- becomes transformative so that we, we know and discern the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Mm. Uh, that's how the Holy Spirit deals with us and causes us to reach out to the Father uh, to say, I'm with you. Mm. I, I've, I've read this. I have heard you. I've, I know what you want. Mm. That's good. It, it, the text of Scripture provides the most perhaps effective praying because the Holy Spirit's already inspired and these through the lips of people in time and place, and you know, and and, and they're there. Bonhoeffer talked about the Psalms, uh, and he spoke about the Psalms being the prayers of Jesus. These are. These are the prayers the Lord uttered while on this earth. You see the Lord, there are times the disciples are wore out and tired, and he's in the flesh, God, still man, all night with the Father praying. And he gets up the next morning, he's walking on water, and these cats get up sleeping, tr- rowing, <laughs> trying to figure it out, you know, and, 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 and he's like, hey, I'm praying. And these things are in the text, and they're there for us to pray. Uh, not just to not just as a model, but also as actual prayers. Mm-hmm. We can we can pray to the Lord. Mm-hmm. All right, let's enter our speed round, rapid fire. We're getting ready to wrap up, so Keith, let you go first. We'll work our way around, and then we'll we'll close up. So prayer, I guess, for me is is all about understanding um, that we're where our mindset is on the kingdom. We're approaching the Lord, the God of the universe, who created everything, with. Um, you try to sort of get, I love the gym, you just sort of quiet your mind and go, okay, do I really believe I am about to speak to the creator of the universe? Yes, that is about to happen. He's real and he's there. And he's most concerned with the work that he's doing in the world. And so not to say that the, that God's not concerned about, you know, my son's twisted ankle. I think he is. But... um it's it's for it's to the end of his glory. And so to approach him in prayer, knowing that God loves me, he cares about the little things in my life, but he's also most interested in how those little things get woven into a kingdom that's progressing and moving forward, and I've got a role in it. Mm. And my family does. And and when he heals us, we glorify him. And so yeah, I guess that's if I could leave everybody with one thought, it would be that Jesus begins his prayer with the kingdom coming and God's will being done. And that's how we should approach, at least in a mindset, all of our prayers to the Lord. That's good. Justin. I think for me, when I think about um, learning how to pray, we only learn how to pray by praying. Mm. 
Uh, and I think that's the comfort from Jesus' teaching. Go where nobody's going to see you. Mm-hmm. You can mess it up. God just wants you to cry out to him. And so we learn um, how to appropriately relate to God as we pray, as we pray. Right. And there's no other way to learn it, right? We could give all the instructions. There's a thousand models for how to learn how to pray. That's good. But in the end, we only learn how to pray by praying. And so reading the word, practicing prayer, and that's the only way that we'll learn how to pray. That's good. Jim. Guys, help me here. Uh, Throughout the Old Testament, is God ever referred to as Father? There's an inference to it. I'm just reading through Exodus when he says, Israel is my firstborn son. But I I don't know if there's. The Israelites themselves, do they ever refer to God as Father? He only says that. They never come to him and, and say, Father. They even hesitated to use his actual covenant name. So what's the difference here? Why does Jesus say our Father? I think it's the it's redemption. It's right. It's a different status before God. Your status before God as the with the law in between you, even though Abraham was made righteous because of his faith. Right. Those guys they just the, the sacrifices just had to keep coming. Right. So it's like a, he's not my he's not my right my papa right my Abba he's he's I don't even deserve to be in front of him and by God I better not unless I come with blood right or they'll have to drag me out of this tent so I think it, for me it would be the work that Jesus did on the cross gives me the right and opportunity to interview interact with God in a way that's personal and loving and let me use sweet. another word intimate intimate that's mm-hmm. the word yeah. As as believers on this side of the resurrection, our relationship with God the Father should be an intimate mm. relationship. And I think that's what prayer should be, intimate. Solid. He, they had come with Exodus 19. Don't even come near the mountain or you're going to be shot through and stoned <laughs> to death. Yeah. And, and now here's the Lord coming and rounding that out with, he's a good father, so come like a child. And, 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 and those two, how they're held in that juxtaposition of we get to run intimately to a good father who at the same time could end our existence. Mm-hmm. So we get to come intimately to the one who can actually do something. And we learn that from Jesus. Yes. Because that's his relationship. That's how he prayed. That's how he drew aside and prayed to his loving, intimate, close father. Mm-hmm. That gives me goosebumps. As we close, I would just say to, uh, to Christians listening, pray, um, pray, pray. Quietly alone when nobody's looking. Pray together corporately because those both go together. Um, nothing is going to happen in the movement of the church in the West apart from us praying. Um, I, I'm fully convinced that great moves of God are birthed on the back backs of the prayers of God's people. So if we want to see great things happen in our city, it's going to be because we ask the Lord to do it, not because we 
carry a heavier yoke and burden. The Lord said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and lowly and you'll find rest for your souls. It's not doing more ministry. It's not adding more labor. It's letting him pull and asking him to pull and then walking with him as he pulls. Um, and, and I would say to my, my Muslim friends who, who listen to this, um, there's an invitation to come to not just submit to some hard, rock, cold will, mm. but to come intimately to a father who loves you but is sovereign and wants to work with you and make those prayers effective, not just ways that you're going to make sure you do enough good at the end and hopefully get in. Mm. Jesus is that way. He is the truth and he is the life. And through him and by him, we come to a good father who can do something about it, um, including crush our enemies and crush those who stand in the way while in a good way working with us to make that happen. Mm. And that gives my heart hope and joy. Well, guys, we appreciate you listening. Thank you for listening to Theology in the Dirt. We would absolutely love it. If you would listen, share it, rate it. Five star is excellent. Anything less than that is just not appropriate. So five star (laughs) rating. Amen. Amen. Rate and share our podcast. And also, if you have questions, you can shoot them to us at theologyinthedirt at gmail.com. Our aim is to do our theology, put it to practice in our homes, in our city, and in our world. So as you engage and you have questions, shoot them to us. We will gladly come after them and do our best to answer them. Thank you for listening. We look forward to next time. Have a great day. Out.